So this morning, as you might see from your bulletin, you might have seen in the bulletin that it said that the message is is going to be from John chapter 11. The bulletin is incorrect. Um, We are going to be in the book of 2 Peter and the first chapter. So if you'd turn there as we prepare our hearts. The... um, There's a theme or a theme that has been running through uh, the ministry of my heart in my own devotional time and in uh, meeting with people all week and in with the uh, circumstances of, of the day. And um, all week long as I was preparing and the Lord was giving me this other message and I kept fighting against that and saying, no, I have a plan and I'm going to stick to the plan. And the Lord says, no, I have a plan from you, from the word. And I was convicted. And at the last minute, I obeyed and it all came together. And so um, I'm hoping that um, that this morning it will be as clear to you as it was clear to me what the Lord would have me speak um, on this morning. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the conviction of your Holy Spirit. I thank you for the confidence that we can have in Jesus Christ. I pray this morning that as we hear your word, that we would discover and that we would believe that the road to heaven is paved intentionally. That the road to heaven is not an accident. That the road to heaven is not something that we can just rest back on who we think we are and just get there somehow. But that the road to heaven, it was intentionally paved by Christ and it is to be intentionally walked by us. So I give you praise in Jesus' name for your word. Amen. Amen. So earlier this week I was reading um, and I came across this from Don Carson. It says, people do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-given effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Word. We drift toward compromise, and we call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience, and we call it freedom. We drift toward superstition, and we call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control, and we call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. This morning, you see, the road to heaven is paved intentionally. Christ paved that road intentionally. He went to the cross with intention. He went to the cross with you and with me in mind. Those that are his elect, those that he has called out of the world. He intentionally went to that cross. He didn't go there by accident. He went there by the will of the Father. It wasn't the will of the Father's second plan. It was the plan all along that his redeemed, that those who he has chosen would follow the path that Christ had walked to the cross and then that that all that Christ accomplished on the cross would then 
be these transformed believers and followers of Jesus would then walk in the path that God had called them to as prescribed in the Word of God. So, there's where we land this morning. I want to read to you from Second Peter um, chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. See, this morning I'm going to shift a bit from our study of the Gospel of John, convinced from my personal study and convinced from conviction of the Holy Spirit that what I need as a minister of the Gospel is this truth. That what we need as a church, what the leadership team of this church needs, what we all need is to live a focused, intentional life of growth in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need a focused, intentional life in Christ. We in the American church like to coast. We in America just like to coast. We like to just sit back and sort of coast. In the climate of cultural Christianity today, the tendency is to live our lives as we please until a crisis comes. And then we want to focus our attention back to God and back to his word. And then afterwards, we wonder, why did I get in this mess? Why is my life a wreck? Often I think that we read the word of God and are convinced of its truth. And we have no intention whatsoever of of obeying what it commands. We read it. It convicts us. It commands things of us. And we have no intention of following what the Lord says. No intention whatsoever. And as, as Doug uh, talked this morning in communion, the same thing. It is this easy thing. We drift towards an easy believism. We take communion sometimes without intention. We worship sometimes without purpose. 
Peter desires in this letter to remind the dispersed believers of a life that they were called to as the chosen people of God. Peter calls the people of God to live with intention. And I would agree with Peter that my duty in Christ as an under-shepherd by his grace, and it's all by his grace, by the way, all that I am going to ask of us here this morning to walk in intentionality in Christ is all by grace. I'm not telling you to, um, to conjure up some strength that you have in you to obey and to follow intentionally. I, what I'm telling you and what I'm telling me is that we need an extra measure of God's grace. It is His grace that empowers us It is His grace that strengthens us. It is His grace that enables us to do the things that Peter here is calling us to do. So, I want you to know that it is all by grace and that this is not about a legalistic sort of thing. You must do that. This is a grace-empowered obedience to God that we are called to. And I I am in agreement with Peter that as an under-shepherd... That by his grace, that as long as I am in this body, I need to make every effort to stir you up, to stir myself up by way of reminder. The elect of Christ, the called out ones are to live with intention. The intention is most assuredly from this text and others that we grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and that we be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Flip with me, if you would, to Matthew 28. I'm going to take us a few places this morning. But um, in Matthew 28, we see the intentionality of the Great Commission. Uh, Let's look at verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The idea of go, therefore, is not a command to just get started. It is actually, in the original language, as you are going, because you're already going, because you've been saved and been redeemed of Christ, and now you're on mission, as you are going, as you are going, Make disciples. There's an intentionality in that. There's your duty and your job. Make disciples. That is, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. And then, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That is, to intentionally purpose to grow and to obey the word of God and to follow after what it is that God says with intention, teaching them to observe. But before I totally divide this text in Second Peter this morning, I want to remind you and I want to remind myself, remind us of the intentionality of God in Christ Jesus. Let's look at Second Corinthians 5 together. And we'll begin in verse uh, 14. 
For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Chapter six, verse one, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Intentionality. God in Christ Jesus intentionally reconciled us to himself, intentionally not counting our trespasses against us, intentionally made us ambassadors for Christ. And then at the end of, uh, at the beginning of chapter six, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. How could we receive the grace of God in vain? We could receive the grace of God in vain if we do not intend to do anything with what the word of God teaches us to do. We have no intention of obeying what it is that God has called us to do. We have indeed received the word of God in vain. I don't want that to be the mark of us and the mark of our church. So, as long as I am in this tent, as long as I am in this body, I think it is incumbent upon me to stir you up by way of reminder. And... Uh, as I said, the, the Lord changed this message this week because I am stirred up as he reminded me of this truth of intentionally living for him, intentionally obeying what it is that the scripture calls us to do. So let's look back at Second Peter and we'll look at chapter one uh, at verse one. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, the, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. By the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Christ in which we stand is equal to the apostles standing in Christ. In that Christ purposely lived his earthly life in righteousness. That he and only he could propitiate God's wrath. That is, that only Christ, his death on the cross, could completely and sufficiently satisfy God's wrath. For those who have obtained the gift of God to believe. Do you believe that that is true? Do you believe that Jesus Christ absorbed all the wrath of God for you and for me? Do you believe that? If you do, if you do believe that in Christ's complete, sufficient, you stand in the same place as the apostles who went before us. You stand in the same faith. Because it is only the faith that God has deposited and given to you, this great gift that he gave you, that he gave me, in which we stand. 
And what do we stand in? We stand in not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished. We stand in his righteousness. That's what he wants these guys to get. That, that you who have obtained this standing, you obtain this standing not by righteous works of your own. This is the righteous work of Christ in which you stand. And you stand there believing by faith. And that faith is a gift from God. That God has given you the gift to believe that, and that is that which we stand in. What an exciting thing to stand in that truth. That is an exciting thing to stand in that. So Peter, in verse 2, let's look at this. This is his prayer. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Sometimes we can skip that greeting. We, We can skip that part as not having great significance. But I think that this has really great significance. Peter's prayer is that the empowering of God's grace be multiplied to those who believe that they might grow in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That if we are to grow in the knowledge of God and to grow in in following after him and in, in obeying what it is that he's called us to, that we need to have grace upon grace upon grace multiplied to us. Because in our own strength and in our own power and in our own righteousness, we are undone. So he says to these guys, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. God's grace, a gift. May you get more and more of his gift to empower you to understand, to know who God is and to know Jesus. But to know Jesus is not to know him here. To know Jesus is to follow Jesus. To know Jesus is to obey Jesus. To know Jesus is is to follow his example. Right? You can know a lot about Jesus. You can know a lot about him as a teacher. You can know a lot about the way that he might react to things. But if if you don't have the intentionality to say that this is the righteousness of God in the person of Jesus, in the scriptures that I read about his life and how he lived, this is the righteousness of God. I will pattern my life after that on purpose. That is intentionality. That is knowing Christ. Now, you don't have the strength to do that on your own. That's why he says here, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. That as you go, as we go, that's what we need is more and more grace. Look at verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us into his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. The divine power that God has granted to us is faith. Divine power that he has given to us is faith. Faith is that which pertains to life and godliness. The life of a blood-bought believer is marked by faith. Faith empowers us to know him. Faith is the vehicle by which we participate in his promises. By faith, granted from God, we partake in the divine nature. By faith, granted from God... We escape corruption and sinful desire. It is by faith. It is by faith. It is through faith. Faith is an action. Faith is an action. It is an intentional action. I believe, 
and I act faithfully. Right? It is, it is that which has called us to action. Let's look at verses 5 through 7. For this very reason, now here he comes with intentionality. With, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Intentional effort. Make every effort to add to your faith virtue. Some people might ask that question, how? How? How do I add virtue if I'm not a virtuous person? He's saying make every effort to do so, so there has to be some intentionality. And uh, the leadership of this church and myself, we talked this week a lot about example. Living by it. But I also think this, that for us, we need to find those that we can follow after, that have modeled the virtues of Christ well. And if we don't have an earthly one, if we don't have one in front of us, let's go to the scripture and say this, not what would Jesus do in any given situation? There's that that whole thing that used to come around WWJD. What would Jesus do? I say it's more like this. Read the word of God and understand what did Jesus do? What did he do? What did Jesus do? Jesus set an example of virtue for me to pattern my life after. So make every effort to add to your faith, intentional effort, virtue. And I say that what we add is the virtue of Christ and virtue with Knowledge. Add knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of the Word of God. That's beneficial. How about knowledge of the person of Christ? How about knowing who He is? Add that to your faith. Add that to your faith. Control. Steadfastness. Godliness. What did we say about godliness when we were teaching through Titus? If anybody remember, when we were teaching through Titus, we said that Godliness was a life that accorded itself with sound doctrine. That is, with what the Word of God said, godliness just looks like what sound doctrine. It confirms the doctrine to be true. It's a life lived that confirms that the doctrine to be true. Brotherly affection. That is, to intentionally, on purpose... Love those that God called us to fellowship with. Brotherly affection, on purpose, intentionally. Even the tough ones, even the ones who disagree with you, intentionally, on purpose. And then to add to brotherly affection is love. Well, he says in verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If these qualities are increasing, intentionality leads to effectiveness and fruitfulness in the life you're called to. If we know Christ, there ought to be a marked fruitfulness. If we really know him, 
There ought to be a marked fruitfulness. And that's not done haphazardly. It's done with intention. It's done on purpose. If these, because as he says in this verse, he says, he says, if these qualities are yours and they are increasing, and they are increasing, they don't just increase through osmosis. They increase, as Peter says, through effort. Make every effort, right? They, it, that's, that's how it increases. And there should be a marked fruitfulness of the follower of Christ. And it says that we would then grow in the knowledge of him. Well, you know that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. If we are not growing in and intentionally making every effort to add to our faith these qualities, look at what Peter says in verse 9 through 11. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will, no, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we're not growing in and intentionally making every effort to add to our faith these qualities, Peter says we are nearsighted, we are blind, we have forgotten that Christ's atoning work has set us free from our sinful past. I think there's a really good test. We always look for tests or look for measures. Am I, am I a follower of Jesus Christ? Am I indeed saved? I don't know if any of you have ever asked that question. And, and, and I hope that you have. I hope that, that sometime when you find yourself mired in something that you really didn't intend to get in, but the next thing you know, you're in, you're in a sin, you're deep in it, and you find yourself there. And you ask yourself, how did I get there? And, and you ask yourself, am I really, really saved? Well, I think one of the measures that we can is that we can say for sure, are we intentionally, on purpose, striving to grow in the knowledge of Jesus? That marks the believer. Not in perfection, but they're forever striving, forever making every effort to add to the faith that they have been given in Christ's sufficient work. They want to add to it more knowledge of Him. I want to grow in who He is. I want to grow in these things of the Spirit. I want to grow in fruitfulness and in effectiveness in my life and in, in the Spirit. I want to grow in love, in joy, in peace in patience, in kindness, in goodness, in faithfulness, in gentleness, in self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Can we take a look at our lives and say that we are indeed growing in those areas, that we are pursuing after that fruitfulness? That is the mark of a believer following after Jesus Christ. That is one who stands firm in his righteous work and says, by faith I believe. By God's grace, God, I need more and more grace. May you multiply that to me, that I would grow in love, that I would grow in joy, that I would grow in peace and patience and kindness and goodness, that I would grow in faithfulness, that I would no longer be contentious, but I would be gentle, 
that I would no longer lack control, but that I would come under the control of the Spirit and that myself would be controlled in Him. See, I think that this tells us then the next thing that, that Peter gets, that if this be true, if, if this is our aim, if this is our intention, if this is what we are growing in, therefore, he says, be all the more diligent. It's on purpose. Be all the more diligent. An entrance into the kingdom of heaven, I don't believe, is received by coasting. And don't take my word for it. And don't take Peter's word for it. Let's take Jesus' word for it. Let's look at Luke chapter 13 together. Look at Luke 13, and we'll begin in verse 24. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter, it will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you came from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Jesus himself says, strive. Jesus says, here's your faith. And, and the evidence of this faith working in you is a striving for more of him. It is a striving and pushing toward this narrow gate. That enters us into heaven. We don't coast there. And I'm not saying this in a legalistic way. I want you to get this. I want you to get that this is about the blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ. Who by faith has been empowered underneath his grace. And by his grace has been empowered to strive. If you are not striving towards the open door of heaven. It could be possible that that's not your home. It could be possible that, that you aren't really a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ. He says here that the gate is narrow. And few find it. But those who have been saved, they will find it. Because they are those who strive toward godliness and strive toward the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Right? I don't want to be one of those... You know, we ate and drank in your presence, Lord, and you were, we, I, was, I was in the worship service. I was there every Sunday. I came. I did my part. I even gave my tithe. I even gave some money. And he says, you didn't strive toward the open door of heaven. You didn't push your way in. You thought you could just coast. You never grew at all in the knowledge of who I am. You never added anything to your faith. You never added godliness. You never added self-control. There is no fruitfulness in your life. And you tell me that you were one of mine? I don't know you. Get away from me, he says. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? It's a sobering thought. But also an empowering thought. I think for me it was. It's empowering that 
And God says, by his grace, that you can be empowered to strive and to push forward. And that, that, that just that striving, just that pushing forward, just that making every effort is a signal that you are indeed his. That he bought you. That you belong to him. Let us strive together towards that narrow gate. Let us be in fellowship with one another to encourage our brothers and sisters to say, hey, that is a path that doesn't lead you to the gate. Let's intentionally move in this direction. Let's add what the Lord says about this to your life so that we can move towards that gate. And let's push each other on and push each other towards that gate as we get crowded out by the world, right, that is trying to go through a gate that they can't get to. They might even be striving towards those heavenly items themselves, but they are not the blood-bought people of Jesus Christ. And they're striving towards that same gate. And you and I need to push our way through. We need to push our way through by adding to our faith those things, virtue, knowledge, the fruits of the Spirit, those things added to our lives. See, so now Peter says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. And I believe that of the church, too. You have them and you know them. But I want to remind you and I want to stir you up in reminder of that always. He says, I will remind you of these qualities. And then he says, I will stir you up. By way of reminder, I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Does reminder might be the thing that we need? We need reminding. We need reminding that we can't coast. We can't coast. And, he, and Peter says, I will remind you, I will make every effort. I will always, I will intend to remind you of these qualities. And then to emphasize that again, I will stir you up by way of reminder. Right? That as long as I am in this tent, I will do these things to remind you. Then, again, he says, since, since I know you, the putting off of my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus made clear to me. Well, I think Jesus is coming back real soon. And I think we don't have time to waste. I think we don't have time to play church. I think we don't, I think we don't have time. You're wasting my time and you're wasting your own time. If you want to come and listen to a message on the word of God and sit here and say, I have no intention of doing what he says. You're wasting my time. You're wasting your time. And I appeal to you not out of. I'm not trying to beat anybody up. I'm just saying that I am really aware that our time is short. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we turn our lives over and live for Christ. If he indeed is our righteousness, if he indeed has secured our salvation by faith, then it is not for tomorrow. It's not for next week. It's not to come here and just hear some music that you like or maybe to hear some kind words and, and go away empty with nothing. That is not the purpose. There's no time for that. There's no time for that. And Peter's saying, I know that the putting off of my body is coming soon. I don't know when the putting off of my body is. It, this could be the last message I ever give. It could be right now. This could be it. And if it is, indeed, I want to stir you up by way of reminder. And if I, by God's grace, am given another week, in verse 15, 
I want to make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things on your own. At any time to say, I will make every effort. I will make every effort to add to my faith. And that by way of practice, by intentionally being in the word, by intentionally being transformed by the renewing of our minds, that at any time you may be able to recall these things. And so I say today, as we leave, I have one admonition from all of this. It's a tough one. Walk worthy. We talked about taking communion worthy. Walk worthy. Walk worthy of the one who called you. Walk worthy of the one who saved you. Let there be evidence that Jesus Christ indeed is the righteous son of God. And that you stand in his righteousness, not a righteousness of your own. Walk worthy of that, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you for these, your dear saints. I pray, Lord, that you would empower us and give us more grace. That you give us grace upon grace to intentionally add to our faith these virtues and knowledge. To add to our faith brotherly love and affection for the, for the saints. That we might grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and that our lives would be effective and fruitful for the kingdom. Help us to be those who have strived and made effort to get through the narrow gate so that we can't be those who, when the gate closes and we can't get in and we think that we knew you, there'd be two kinds of people, the word says, those who are wailing and crying and lamenting that they didn't strive and those who are waving their fist at God, gnashing their teeth. And as R.C. Sproul says, I want to be the one counted among the weeping if I'm not in. So, Lord, empower us. Be with us, guide us, and direct us. In Jesus' precious name and all God's people said.